Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. This particular show will be focusing on an event that happened in the year 1940. But what else happened that year? On March the 18th, Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini meet at Brenner Pass in the Alps. After being informed by Hitler that the Germans are ready to attack the West, Mussolini agrees to bring Italy into the war in due course. The 8th of April sees Operation Wilfred, where the British fleet lays naval mines off the coast of neutral Norway. April the 12th and the Faroe Islands are occupied by British troops following the German invasion of Denmark. This action is taken to avert a possible German occupation of the islands, which would have serious consequences for the course of the Battle of the Atlantic. On the 15th of May, women's stockings are made of nylon for the first time and are on sale across the United States. Almost 5 million pairs are bought on this day. The 20th of May sees the largest of the Nazi German concentration and extermination camps, Auschwitz-Birkenau, opening in occupied Poland. From now until January 1945, around 1.1 million people will be killed there. June the 4th sees the end of the Dunkirk evacuation, where the British and French navies, together with large numbers of civilian vessels from various nations, complete evacuating 300,000 troops from Dunkirk, France, to England. June the 4th also saw Winston Churchill in the House of Commons in England make this historic speech. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. On November the 11th, the British Royal Navy launches the first aircraft carrier strike in history on the Italian battleship fleet anchored at Toronto Naval Base. And on December the 24th, Mahatma Gandhi, Indian spiritual non-violence leader, writes his second letter to Adolf Hitler, addressing him as, My friend and requesting him to stop the war Germany had begun. But our event features a man called Gerard Broadmead Roop, who was born on the 13th of March 1905 at Hillbrook Troll, Somerset, England, the son of Gerard and Florence. His actions not only gained him a medal, but the admiration of the enemy. 
word of the week. And this week, the word I give you is... Perma-crisis, which is a word describing the feeling of living through a period of war, inflation and political instability. This has been chosen as Collins Dictionary Word of the Year. Gerard Broadmead Rube joined the Royal Navy after school, and in 1927 he was commissioned an officer. At about the same time, he married Faith, and they had a son, Michael, who was born in 1929. On the 22nd of July, 1938, Lieutenant Commander Rube took command of HMS Glowworm, which was a G-class destroyer, launched on the 22nd of July, 1935, She weighed 1,345 tonnes and was armed with four 4.7-inch guns, seven anti-aircraft machine guns, ten 21-inch torpedo tubes and depth charges, and she cost £300,000 to build and had a complement of 145 people. Her first peacetime duties were in the Mediterranean, which included escort work, at the time of the Spanish Civil War and the Munich Crisis. History tells us that she wasn't the luckiest of ships after she hit HMS Grenade, her sister ship, in May 1939 whilst on night exercises, and then the Swedish ship Rex in February 1940. Both collisions resulting in her undertaking extensive damage repairs. These collisions were the reason that Roop got the nickname Rama Roop. Another nickname the crew gave him was Old Ardover, for his habit of altering course at a moment's notice. At the outbreak of World War II, Glowworm was based in Harwich. On the 5th of April 1940, she left for the stormy waters of Norway as one of the escorts of the battlecruiser Renown dispatched to intercept the expected German invasion force. On the 6th of April, while screening a mine-laying operation, Operation Wilfred, off the coast of Norway, Glowworm lost a man, Abel Seaman Ricky, a lifebuoy sentry, overboard in heavy weather conditions. After seeking permission from the Renown, Lieutenant Commander Roop turned her around to look for him. A search eventually found him tangled in ropes which were trailing over the side, and when they pulled him in, he was badly injured and there was no hope for him. They then attempted to rejoin the group, and on the morning of the 8th of April, Glowworm, still on her own, sighted a destroyer who, when challenged, initially identified itself as Swedish. The destroyer was in fact German, Bernd von Arnim, which began firing. The glowworm promptly returned fire, and then another German destroyer soon appeared, Paul Jacobi. Glowworm's fight against the odds had begun. ensuing exchange, Bernd von Arnim, packed with invasion troops, and Paul Jacobi, both turned and fled into the rain squall. 
Lieutenant Commander Rube guessed that they were trying to lead him on to their main force, but gave chase in tempt to find the main German invasion fleet anyway, so he could report their position to the Admiralty. After emerging on the other side of the squall, Glowworm came face to face with the 10,000-ton German heavy cruiser Admiral von Hipper, armed with eight 8-inch and 12 4-inch guns. Roop immediately ordered that the Glowworm make the smoke signal for an enemy sighting signal to be sent. Using the cover of her smokescreen, the Glowworm made two torpedo attacks, firing a total of 10 torpedoes. One missed the hipper by yards, but none found their mark. All this time, Glowworm was taking crippling hits from the hipper's big guns. Lieutenant Commander Roop then ordered a sharp turn to starboard and headed straight for the hipper, giving the famous order, stand by to ram. Hipper's reaction to the situation was very slow, hampered by the awful weather. The glowworm, all guns firing and siren wailing like a banshee, tore into the Hipper's starboard side. Striking her amidship, she ripped away its anchor, tearing away over 130 feet of its armoured belt and destroying the Admiral Hipper's starboard torpedo tubes, killing one man at his gun and puncturing two fresh water tanks. After ramming the hipper, Glowworm drew clear. Although her decks were swept by a storm of fire from the hipper's 4.1-inch and close-range weapons, she still managed to get off another salvo, hitting hipper at a range of 400 yards. The salvo came from the only gun on Glowworm still firing, commanded by Petty Officer Walter Scott. She was by then starting to sink, her bows wrecked a major fire raging amidship and all steam pressure lost. Roop gave the order to abandon ship. Bert Curley Harris was a 20-year-old stoker on the glowworm that fateful day. His brother Edwin, two years older than him, was killed in action during the event. Here's what Bert had to say. I remember a young officer shouting, open all seacocks. Although we were sinking fast now, I never saw him again. Then the captain came and told us to get off as soon as we could. That was the last time I saw Lieutenant Commander Roop. By this time, the ship had turned over onto her starboard side and the siren was blowing and smoke was belting from the funnels. I scrambled down the port side and then onto the bottom of the glowworm. She turned right over in the water. All the time, the Germans were pumping shells into us. At last, I decided to take the plunge and jumped into the sea and swam as hard as I could from the sinking ship. After what seemed a long time, I stopped swimming and just let the lifebelt keep me afloat. I watched the end of HMS Glowworm. The Germans finished her and she began to sink below the waves with men still standing on her.
on the street. This week we travel to BS1 and Welshback. This is named because it was the practice in olden times for Welsh products arriving by private sailing vessels to be sold in a building here known as the Goose Market. This was demolished in 1854. Regarding the word back, some say it is from the Saxon back, meaning river, while others insist that it is merely saying that the street is at the back of the river. The Landugger Trow is nearby in King Street, which emphasises the Welsh connection, a trow being a flat-bottomed boat common then in the Bristol Channel. Landogo is a village on the Welsh bank of the Wye, above Chepstow. Lieutenant Commander Roop was seen on her keel, talking to Petty Officer Townsend about the fact that they wouldn't be playing cricket for a while again. He then went to open the seacocks to sink her. Bert Ginger Lohman was a 19-year-old stoker mechanic on the glowworm. He was knocked out and badly injured during the fighting. At a quarter to eight, the alarm bells went for action stations. I was supposed to be on watch at eight o'clock, but once you go into action, you stay where you are. I went to the petty officer's mess as an ammunition supplier where the number two gun was situated. It was those 15 minutes that saved my life because I know my boiler room got blown out of the ship. If I'd been on watch at the time, I wouldn't have been here now. I often think of the poor devil that was down there where I should have been. A shell exploded in the petty officer's mess, but luckily it exploded on the other side of the gun support. The concussion knocked me out, and when I came to, I found that the back of my left hand was gone, and I had shrapnel in my left arm and leg. The floor of the petty officer's mess was covered in blood. It looked like a butcher's shop. I felt the ship listing over. She was going down, and I began sliding with it. I managed to crawl to the other side and up on deck. Just as I got in the water, she heaved right over and I got caught up in the ropes and the wires underwater. I thought to myself, I've had it now. I struggled and struggled and all of a sudden my head popped out of the water. I could see she was about to go down so I swam away as hard as I could to get away from her because I didn't want to get sucked down. I could feel myself being drawn back. Eventually I managed to get away from her. I was swimming with one leg and one arm, heading towards the hipper. I was one of the last to leave the glowworm. The next morning I was fast asleep when all of a sudden their guns started firing, which were right outside the sick bay. One of the stewards came in who could speak perfect English. I asked him what was going on, he told me not to worry and that one of our ships had been sighted but it wouldn't give them any trouble. I asked him if he knew which ship and he replied that it was the Renown. On hearing this I waited for the whistle of shells to come over as I knew that the Renown's 15 inch guns had a longer range than the Hippers. But the Hipper managed to escape in the bad weather conditions. Back at home my sister was listening to Lord Hoha, who announced that I was one of the survivors of the Glowworm and she went rushing around to tell my mum and dad who thought I was dead as they'd heard that the glowworm had sunk with all hands.
As the glowworm went down, men climbed onto a bow or dived into the stormy, freezing, oil-covered water. As she slipped under, her siren, which had been going all through the action, abruptly stopped, causing a momentary, eerie silence, until her depth charges blew up, killing yet more men. The captain of the hipper, Helmuth Hay, chivalrously stayed for over an hour picking up survivors. Hay positioned Hipper so that the current in the sea would bring the drifting survivors to him. All the personnel on deck, including the soldiers, helped pull in the exhausted, oil-covered men. Many grabbed ropes but were too exhausted to hold on to them and slipped to their deaths. Lieutenant Commander Rube was in the water, helping his men to the ropes and to get life jackets on. Finally, he took hold of a rope himself and was pulled some distance up the side. But with a combination of the huge waves and his exhaustion, he let go and slipped beneath the waves. He left behind his wife and two children, a son aged 10 and a girl aged 7, at their home in Weymouth. Stoker Bert Curley Harris tells us what happened after they were rescued by the Germans. I finally came to my senses to find a group of Germans standing around me. When I moved, one of them gave me a cigarette and asked me if I felt all right. I was under a cradle of electric light bulbs which they had put over me to keep me warm. My first words were for the news of my brother, but there was none. I felt sick and stunned as it was weeks before I could realise that he had gone with all the others. All that was left were 29 survivors of that grim and terrible day. The following day, only 27, two having died of oil fuel poisoning, they were buried at sea. I must say that they were the best German sailors I ever knew. They looked after us the best they could. Their captain came to us and told us that our captain had been a very brave man. We were all locked below decks with armed sentries. We were there until the following Friday. The Hipper was on her way to Norway where she discharged the troops she was carrying. Her mission completed. She made for the open sea again. On the 16th of April 1940, Lieutenant Robert Archibald Ramsey's name was announced by the German royalists as a survivor of the destroyer Glowworm, sunk during the Norwegian operation. At the time, he was 22 and had joined the Royal Navy as special entry in January 1935 and had only just been posted to Glowworm the autumn before. On the news from Germany about his son, his father, Mr Robert A. Ramsey, told the Press Association that he had had no official notification that his son was safe. In fact, another parent, Mrs Andrews, mother of leading seaman Andrews, who lived in Southampton, was woken up shortly after midnight by a neighbour who said that the German radio had announced that her son was safe. But she too didn't believe it and went back to bed. She said later, I had given up hope of ever seeing him alive again. Andrew's wife lived a few doors away, but the mother was worried about conveying false news, let her sleep on. Eventually, all parties were relieved and overjoyed to hear the good news that their loved one was alive. 
Out of a total crew of 149, only 31 survived. The only officer was Torpedo Control Officer Lieutenant Robert Ramsey. The Germans congratulated the survivors on a good fight and treated them as equals. Captain Hay told the survivors that their captain was a very brave man. Later, Hay sent a message through the International Red Cross recommending Lieutenant Commander Roop for the Victoria Cross, the only time in British history that the VC was recommended by the enemy. The survivors spent the rest of the war as prisoners of war. It was only after the war when they returned and Lieutenant Ramsey told the story that the events of that fateful day in April 1940 came to light. As a result of the gallant action, Lieutenant Commander Roop was awarded the Victoria Cross, Lieutenant Ramsey, the Distinguished Service Order, and three other ratings got the Conspicuous Gallantry Medal. Engineering Officer Henry Gregg, Petty Officer Walter Scott, and able seaman Reginald Merritt. The London Gazette published the award on 10th of January 1945, over five years after the action. Rube is commemorated on the Portsmouth Naval Memorial and his medals are held privately. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. This incredible historical adventure follows a path of exciting events led by interesting people who reach beyond their grasp to touch key moments in time. The History of North America podcast series is an educational and entertaining look at the thrilling chronicle of North America, an action-packed tale of a continent that is still unfolding. I invite you to come along for the ride. Back in the day facts. Let's start with the 5th of November 1605 when the Catholic conspirator Guy Fawkes attempts to blow up King James I and the British Parliament. The plot is discovered. Guy Fawkes is caught, tortured and later executed along with seven others. Celebrated ever since as Guy Fawkes Day, where his effigy is traditionally burned on a bonfire, accompanied by fireworks. On the 6th of November 1990, I'm Your Baby Tonight, the third studio album by Whitney Houston is released and becomes the Billboard Album of the Year for 1991. On the 7th of November 1800, it becomes illegal for women in Paris to wear trousers without a police permit. This is an old in 2013. Also on the 7th of November, but in 1874, a cartoon by Thomas Nast in Harper's Weekly is considered the first important use of an elephant as a symbol for the United States Republican Party. On the 8th of November 1965, the Abolition of the Death Penalty Act 
1965 is given royal assent, formally abolishing the death penalty in the United Kingdom for almost all crimes. The 9th of November, 1979, and there's a nuclear false alarm. The NORAD computers and the alternate National Military Command Centre in Fort Ritchie, Maryland, detected purported massive Soviet nuclear strike. But after reviewing the raw data from satellites and checking the early warning radars, the alert is cancelled. Lastly, on the 10th of November, 1847, the passenger ship Stephen Whitney is wrecked in thick fog off the southern coast of Ireland, killing 92 of the 110 on board. The disaster results in the construction of the Fastnet Rock Lighthouse. Well, I fear that that means it's the end of the show today. But don't worry, you'll be listening to me, Alice, same time, same place, next week, when I will be bringing you a Remembrance Day special, featuring stories of bravery from the battlefront. But for this story, I'd like to thank those who really brought it all to life. And they are... Joe Wilson from St. Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, as well as Steve Shepherd from our very own Bradley Stone Radio. Personally speaking, I was utterly surprised that this story hasn't been heard more often. It's a testament to one man's bravery and the idea of duty held by everyone on board HMS Glowworm. I'd really like to know what you thought about it. You can contact me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or you can email me direct at info at backtracker.co.uk. Now, this is an independent podcast. So what would really help is a rating or a review because that sort of thing really does get the show out to other people. But for now, I'd just like to say thank you for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Take care and look after each other.